Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Four weeks prior to Christmas are frequently referred to as Advent. Each Sunday has a different theme, hope, love, peace, and joy. Today's message is focused on one of the hardest things for us to do, waiting in anticipation. That's also known as hope. Now, whether it's a child waiting for Christmas and a chance to open presents, or whether it's adults waiting for Christmas to be over so that we can put our lives back together, <laughs> waiting is life on hold. Our willingness to wait is based on hope. And that's the, first, that's the first Sunday of Advent, the day of hope. As believers, we must remember that our hope is based on God, though, not on our circumstances. And hope creates the anticipation that something good is about to happen. The challenge for that is that a lot of times, we have to have that hope that something good is about to happen in the midst of things that are not good. That's what makes waiting for God so hard. In our understanding of Jesus' arrival, we typically think of Bethlehem as the place of his birth. And oddly enough, the biblical account doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus as the Messiah, the hope of Israel. That's what made waiting for God hard. I'm saying to go ahead and go to that next one if you don't mind. Luke's account starts with a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Now, they're an amazing couple with an incredible family history of, of people who loved God and served Him. Both of them were from people who had served in the priesthood. And they couldn't have been more proud of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But Luke tells in chapter 1, verse 6, that you know, they're, they're both righteous before God and blameless in his eyes when it comes to the observing of his commandments. But unfortunately, it appears as though their, their story is going to end with them because they're both unable to have children. And I'm telling you that nothing is harder than waiting for God to answer when all you hear is silence. Nothing is harder than waiting for God to answer your prayers when you feel like you deserve better than what you've got. Unless it's living with the disappointment that God has forgotten you and you begin to doubt your relationship with him. And if you could sit down and have that conversation with God, what you'd want to say is you'd want to look at him and just ask, are we good? Are, are we okay? Now, sometimes it's because we know that we've messed up and we're hoping he's forgiven us, but sometimes it's because we feel like we haven't messed up. 
but he's not giving it up to us. See, don't mix the significance of that as Luke's starting point in the story of the Messiah. God had promised to send a deliverer, a savior, so where is he? And the question then becomes, God, can I count on you or not? Waiting on God to work in our life is one of the hardest things that there is to do. And verse 8 and following of Luke chapter 1, you know, he has the honor and privilege, or Zechariah has the honor and privilege of working in the temple. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and it's his by, by luck of the draw, really, that he gets to go into that, in, that inner holy place. While he's there, an angel appears to him and says whatever angel learns in Angelology 101, don't be afraid. And he tells Zechariah that after all these years of waiting, they're finally going to have a child. And their child's going to be used by God in an amazing way, and he'll help prepare Israel for the Messiah. Zechariah listens to him, probably wondering, one, am I having a hallucination? Am I stroking out in this? Or is this really happening? And then when he realizes what the angel Gabriel is telling him, he begins to think, Really, God, now? Now that I'm this age, after all this time waiting, have I? Are you really going to answer my prayer now? And as a sign to him, Gabriel, the angel, tells him that until the child is born, he'll be unable to speak. And then the angel tells him this in verse 19 and 20 I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. You need that reassurance, don't you? When you're waiting for God, you don't want a messenger service. You don't want him leaving a voicemail. You don't even want God sending you a text. When you're waiting for God, you want to know that... Well, let me rephrase this. When, when you've been waiting for God and it looks like you've got the answer to what you've been waiting on, you want to make sure that what you're hearing is true. And that's what Gabriel starts with. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Can you even begin to imagine how hard it was for, for Zechariah to wait? Can you even begin to imagine what it was like for Zechariah to try to communicate to his wife, Elizabeth, what had just happened? You see, waiting for God is hard. But as hard as it was to wait after losing hope, the anticipation must have been over the top for them. And when that day finally comes because of the character that God knew was in their heart, even though everyone had expected them to honor the family name and name their new baby Zachariah after his dad, they were obedient to the instruction given to them by the angel Gabriel, and they named him John. After waiting for God to give his voice back, Zechariah begins to sing his praises. And this is how it sounds in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord. 
the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He continues to praise God for his faithfulness throughout the generations, even though waiting for God is so hard. The Spirit of God speaks through him as he announces to everyone who will listen that the wait is over. And this is what he says in verses 76 and following. Speaking of his new son, he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in a path of peace. Man, when you've been waiting Peace is what you're hungry for, right? As exciting as that moment must have been, they still find themselves waiting to see what God's going to do next. And in the last passage in Luke 1, it tells how John continues to grow and develop the spiritual strength that he's going to need for what God knows lies ahead of him. But then Luke goes on to explain the sequence of events around the birth of Jesus in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You're familiar with the story, I'm sure. A guy named Caesar Augustus is in charge of things, and he orders everyone to return to their hometown to register in a census. Joseph and Mary leave Nazareth, their home, to make the trip to Bethlehem, even though she's nearly full term in pregnancy. And you know the story. They finally get there. There's no room. They find shelter in a stable. The baby's born and placed in a manger. And yet, the first message of Advent is about hope. Except I'm guessing that if it's, if it's Joseph and Mary, <laughs> they're thinking, I hope the baby doesn't come on our way to Bethlehem. I hope she can wait until we get back home. I hope we find some place to stay. I, I hope Mary will forgive me for putting her through this. I hope she knows what she's doing because I don't know what to expect. I hope I don't drop the baby. And Mary's probably thinking, I hope he doesn't drop the baby either. I hope God hasn't forgotten his promise to us about this baby. The first message of Advent is hope. And in the middle of all of their uncertainty, when all they have is hope, this is what it says in Luke 2, verse 10 and following. Nearby, the angels appear to a group of shepherds, and the very first thing they say to them, you know, angelology, angelology 101, tell them not to be afraid. And that's what they do. Don't be afraid. I bring you the good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, as we remember hearing it early in our life. And he'll be lying in a manger. Now, even though the story is common to us, it was an amazing revelation to a group of shepherds. 
that are stuck doing one of Mike Rowe's dirty jobs that nobody else would do, watching sheep on, outside of town, sleeping in the rough under the sky. They understood the significance of the Messiah because of the stories that they'd been told all of their life. They may feel like they're out of place being anywhere other than in the fields with the sheep. And yet they know that if what they've heard the angels announce is true, this is a really big deal. He's the one they've been waiting for. He's the one that everyone has been hoping for, for generations. Hope is what gives us a reason to wait. But it doesn't stop there. There are other people who experience the same type of anticipation and hope in the story of the coming of the Messiah. One of them's name is Simeon. He's an old man that goes to the temple every day, and he's just waiting for the Messiah. He's praying for the Messiah. Or death, whichever one comes first. He's just got that anticipation and hope about him. And when Mary and Joseph bring their baby to the temple, Simeon realizes this is the one that he's been hoping to see. The Messiah has arrived. And his response is, he takes the baby, I'm sure much to their unsettled response, but he takes the baby and he lifts it to the sky like Lion King or something. And he he says, now I can die. And Mary's probably looking at that thinking, well, give me the baby back first. (laughs) But there's another person there. It's an older lady named Anna. She's an 84-year-old widow. She was only married for seven years before her husband died, but she'd found comfort for all of these years in the temple. She comes up to them as well, and she gives thanks to God that her days of waiting for God's deliverance have finally come to pass. After all of this time, after all of the waiting, after all of the hoping, God has not forgotten His promise, even to somebody who feels forgotten like me. It's just like the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, when he had been born, he said, my words will come true at the appointed time. Now that phrase, at the appointed time, has kind of a, has kind of a neat background to it. I don't want to get deep into the weeds with you here, but... but Bear with me a little bit. You know, it, the typical Greek word for time is chronos. And it's what you measure in, in, in sequential units. Like yesterday was yesterday, today is today, tomorrow is tomorrow. You know, he started it. Is he done yet? It, you know. But Gabriel doesn't use the word chronos. He uses a word that's similar but significantly different when he says he uses the word kairos or kairos when he refers to that appointed time. Kairos didn't refer to an appointed due date like Mary's telling Joseph, I'm due to have this baby. It's not a day on a calendar, but kairos speaks of an event that's much larger in its scope and significance. It's the fullness of time. The time has arrived. Kronos is counted in seconds. But Kairos 
is counted in significance. And the birth of Jesus came at the or the Kairos, the appointed time when hope was to finally be realized. This was what they'd expected. This is what they'd anticipated. This is what they'd been waiting for. This is why during the Advent season that the place to start with is always going to be a place of hope because the arrival of Jesus is what gave them hope and is also what gives us hope no matter what's happening in our lives. Let me talk a little bit about the concept of hope. You see, biblical hope is so much different than what we talk about in terms of hope. Biblical hope is confident. In the Bible, hope is associated with a reason for someone's assurance, with their confidence. But in our culture today, hope generally is indicated by the very opposite of that. For us, it's actually more a reflection of our lack of confidence or our lack of assurance. The only time that we use the word hope is when we're completely unsure about the outcome, like I hope the Buckeyes win. <laughs> but we're not sure how it's going to turn out. I hope the doctor's tests come back encouraging. I hope I win the lottery. Man, I hope God didn't hear me during the game. <laughs> I hope we get things figured out before we have to play them again. You see, when we speak about hope, it's almost more like wishing or a lucky rabbit's foot. And that's completely different than the way that hope was used in Scripture. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and following, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Well, what is it that he's been praying about for people that he obviously cares deeply about? He says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. You see, that was the goal, right? That was Paul's hope, that they would know God better. Now, he wants them to know the reason for that kind of confidence, and that's what he talks about in, verses, in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incom incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Is Paul praying that they might have more insecurity? Is Paul praying that... that if they get to know God better, it'll increase the amount of their wishes on a star? Or that they might have less insecurity? And he would write about that hope to the Christians in Rome in chapter 15, verse 13, this way. He would say this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Why? So that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't encourage them with a message that goes something like this. May the God of anxiety and superstition fill you with more of that. 
May, may the God of wishing upon a star bring you joy and peace as you learn to read your astrology chart. And he says, I want, you, I want you to overflow with even more uncertainty and more second guessing because of the power of the Holy Spirit. No, that's not what he says at all. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. How's that going to happen? Because we learn to trust in him even while we wait. If we'll do that, he says, that we'll overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our present is defined by our conviction. The basis of real hope, the kind that the Bible talks about, is the reality of what we already know to be true. Hope is so deeply rooted in our past that it determines our conviction about the future. That's why the good news is that the hope of the Christmas story is that God keeps His promise. Our present today is defined by what we believe about our future. And how we now live in this moment is shaped by what we believe about the days ahead. I feel like I've lost you. Let me tune back in just for a minute, okay? Hear this. We typically have an amount of hope for today and tomorrow based on how today's going. And that doesn't work. Because sometimes today's not going too well. But he says that when we place our hope in God instead of our circumstances, when we place our hope in the future based on our conviction about the God who's God of today, that it makes all the difference in the world. For example, one person doesn't believe in the existence of God or life after death. They think this life is all you get. Another person, by contrast, is a believer in Jesus and trusts that what he said is true about the existence of eternity. Do you think that might affect how they live their life today? Do you think that conviction, either that there is no God and this is all you get, or the conviction that there is a God and He promised me an eternity with Him, you think that might affect how they live? You see, uncertainty and ambiguity have a definite impact on the choices we make and the decisions we make today and the priorities that we live with. Likewise, if I'm confident about God's existence, about God's character, about His promises being fulfilled, and about His activity in my life and in my world, it's going to affect how I navigate my way through the challenges and the seasons of my life. When things were pretty rough during the days of the prophet Jeremiah, here's the hope he offered in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 and following. He says, I remember how I suffered and wandered. I remembered how bitter my life was. I remember it all too well. My spirit was very sad deep down inside me. But when I remembered this, 
it gives me hope. Not this about how sad he was. Not this about how awful life was. But when I remember this, it gives me hope. Verse 22, the steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I'll hope in him. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Jerusalem was the center of everything they held holy. It was the source of their identity. It was the reason for their peace. It was the meaning and security of their life. And what gave them joy is to be able to go next year to Jerusalem again. And yet it's gone. Jeremiah has to give his people hope. And he does so by being completely honest and transparent with them. There'll be times when circumstances cause you to lose hope. But when you remember the role that God plays in your life, that's what gives us a reason to renew our hope. He's teaching them that our hope isn't based in our circumstances. Our hope is based on what we believe about God. The difference is what we choose to focus on. The reality of our life or the reality of God at work in our life. Our hope is based on God, not our circumstances. Now, this is probably the point where David wants you to praise team, join me, I'm back on stage. The circumstances that he wants them to look through are circumstances that brought suffering and aimless wandering. The circumstances that he wants to give them the hope to get through is that no matter how bitter life can be in that moment, he wants them to remember this because it's what will give them hope. You've seen the passage. You've read what it says. In verse 22 and following, the Lord is my, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I'll hope. Would you read that with me like Jeremiah would probably have encouraged his people to read that with him? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. I'll always remember that. Not because my memory of, of Scripture is all that great. But primarily because when I was a lot younger, I learned this to a tune that we would sing in devotionals and around a campfire. Maybe you've heard that same thing. Maybe you've learned that same tune. If so, feel free to join me in that. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And one more time for emphasis, therefore I will hope in him. Every year Christmas is a fresh reminder of the hope that the Advent season begins with and brings to us. The familiar verses, the familiar songs, the familiar stories, all sound the same reminder. Hope is coming. The hope of knowing that not all is lost. The hope of knowing God is not forgotten. The hope of knowing we're good. God and me. And this is the reminder that God wants us to know everything's going to be okay. And as welcome as that reminder is, this can also be a season of sadness over the absence of loved ones. It's the empty chairs at the table because loved ones have passed or choices that were made and hearts that were broken. The advent of the Christmas season brings both happiness and pain but also brings with us the anticipation, the hope that someday God will make a difference. Therefore, I will hope in Him. As believers, we have a hope that's as real as the life story that we're experiencing. It's the hope of God at work in our life. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for a reason to believe, not because of our circumstances or our life at this moment, but a reason to believe in you, for you are the source of our hope. Not what's happening today, not wishing upon a star or throwing a lucky penny in a well. You are the reason for our hope. Thank you for your consistency. Thank you for your character. Thank you for proving again that no matter how long we wait, there's a reason to keep our hope in you. In Jesus, we give you praise. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.